What if everything you thought of health and wellness suddenly changed due to a hidden breathing problem that you were unaware of that affects every system in your body? Improper breathing habits are often overlooked in medicine. I'm Dr. Jenny from the Hobson Institute, and this is The Breathing Lab. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Jenny from the Hobson Institute here to interview uh, Dr. Kevin Boyd, or I should say Dr. Kev, as my children call him. He is a pediatric dentist here in Chicago, and so we know, we've known each other for quite some time. Um, he has his master's in nutrition and dietetics. He's a pediatric dentist uh, by training, and he, he's an instructor on the residency at uh, Chicago Children's Lurie's uh, Hospital. He's also a consultant in the sleep medicine department. He has done research at the and has worked in his postdoc at University of Pennsylvania in anthropology and also in Arkansas. So Dr. Kev, thank you so much for making the time to do this. Um, I'm here because I think the world of you and all that you've been up to around airway and um, just breathing for children in general and, and your contributions have been huge in the world of airway. So um, thank you for coming and joining me in this thank, podcast. Thank you for inviting me. I'm honored to be here. <clears throat> Wonderful. So, you know, this, this podcast is really to educate the, the public. I wanted to ask you about some signs and symptoms that you would want your parents, uh, parents of children that, that may have airway and breathing problems. What, what are some signs that they should look out for um, that their children aren't doing so great and that you know, sometimes pe parents think, oh, children's don't don't need anything. They're young. They're, you know, they're healthy. Is there anything they can look out for? Well, it's interesting. Yesterday I was watching the football game and somebody knocked on the door and it was somebody canvassing for a candidate in a primary. And, you know, we just started chatting. I, I talked to everybody, you know me. And turns out he's a dad of young kids and, uh, I just asked him, I said, hey, you know, he asked me what I did. And I told him I'm a pediatric dentist. And uh, I said, hey, you know, does your the dentist for your kids, did he ask you anything about um, do your kids snore? Um, do they mouth breathe? And he was like, yeah, but what's that got to do with dentistry? So, so those are the, you know, the first thing, does it, does a child keeps their lips closed? Can they breathe through their nose? If their mouth is hanging open while they're awake and asleep, there's a good chance that there's some mouth breathing going on there. And not all air is created equal. As you and I know, if you take it in through your mouth, it's kind of junk food, garbage air. And if you let it go through filtration in your nose, that's high quality health fluid air. And it helps kids grow and think and do you know it's just way better well what does that have to do with the jaws and teeth and i just really like to tell people if anyone has ever said a dentist or oh boy your kids teeth are crowded or save up your money for braces um that's like an you know a, an eye doctor telling your nearsighted four-year-old save up your money for glasses because they're going to need them to drive a car and your first question should be what they need them now then right of course but in dentistry We've gotten away with it for years to just wait till they're older until the strong correlation between the shape of the jaws, the way the teeth and jaws are aligned, could correlate with risk for, for sleep and breathing problems, which can correlate with neurological and even IQ. So we don't really just postpone it. It's like there's things that can be done 
really early. Um, and more people are knowing about it. The American Dental Association is behind this whole effort. That's great. You know, when when we first uh, worked together with my children, you know, my daughter was four and my son was two and you were the one that detected a narrow jaw. And I thought, my goodness, my daughter's four. Why would we start some palatal expansion? Doesn't that seem too young? And um, at the time, I, I had no real understanding. This is way before I started learning about mouth breathing and the effects of mouth breathing as a myofunctional therapist. So you had told me, go, go get evaluated by other people. And I did. And one of the things that one of okay. the orthodontists did um, was the orthodontist that uh, I'd worked with for years took an x-ray, a lateral Ceph x-ray and noted, he's like, Jenny, you got to take the kids to the, the, the ENT. They might need surgery. There's tonsils or adenoids or their adenoids were really swollen. And I thought, my goodness, I, why, what, what happened? You know, I, this, why I'm bringing this up is because this happens to many parents and they have no clue there's an underlying problem. So these narrow jaws were causing mouth breathing or the mouth breathing and the swelling. I don't know if it was, you know, one of my children had allergies and the other one didn't. So it wasn't like purely, oh, they're just swollen because of that. Um, so you've really opened my eyes to so many things. And I really have to thank you for that. And they, you put them on the right path to growth and development. So, um, I wanted to just mention that as a parent, this is a, this is an area that many doctors don't know about, uh, physicians aren't really aware about, but the pediatric airway centric dentists understand proper growth and development. And Kevin, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, there's certain measurements that the palate or the roof of the mouth should be at, at certain times of, the of, of a child's life, right? Mm -hmm. what, what does that mean to people? Like, how do you, how do you measure it? And what, why do you need that space? Well, for the tongue and, and really uh, what I've always said, and this is sort of the anthropology background, that I've been developing is that, you know, in utero, really by the fourth month, third month, fourth month in, in gestation, a baby will start chewing amniotic fluid and that tongue starts to go up there and push on that pellet. Well, the metaphor that we make is the, the fetus's tongue has a, a primary job and that is to build a home for itself to live in for the rest of its life. And it continues after the baby's born. And we used to not have to think about it. You know, for hundreds of thousands of years, our species, Homo sapiens, um, if a child didn't come out of the womb with a tongue pushing up on the roof of the mouth, and then once breastfeeding started and usually would last into the third or fourth and even longer years of life in our, our uh, you know, pre-industrial ancestors and weaning onto hard, you know, fibrous, fresh food, well, that tongue would have to push all that food and, and chew, and that continued to build the nest. And usually by seven, eight years old, that tongue is fully developed, that palate. Well, if kids didn't have that, they died. They did not survive childhood. And that just means that they weren't nursed and weaned because maybe the mom died, um, maybe there was a famine, but, but children really had to build that palate in order to survive childhood. 
So, you know, that's why the, the measurements that, that we measure at the upper eye teeth, the canines, yeah. you know, really the, those canines are in by two and a half years old, certainly by three. Well, if that width isn't a certain width, we say 30, 31 millimeters by age five, that kid is already suffering uh, inadequate growth, suboptimal growth. And then at the second baby molars on top, that should be 24 millimeters plus the child's age. That was established at uh, a big, big cohort at Harvard, at the Forsyth Dental Institute. And I'm trying to get access to all those records. But they, and it was ENTs, they called them rhinologists, and dentists, orthodontists, they all work together in, in to help kids not only have wide jaws for cosmetic reasons, but for breathing. They would come right out and say, you have to spread the baby teeth jaws in order to optimize a kid's ability to breathe through the nose. This was all known a hundred years ago and it just kind of got lost. <clears throat> and this seems to keep repeating this history, right? I mean, yeah. you've sent me so many old, old articles and books and excerpts of these orthodontists and ENTs that understand it years ago, but then it kind of fades away. Why do you think it keeps fading away, Kev? Well, we know this, uh, what, what had really started, um, there was a guy, he was, uh, uh, his name was Ernest Augustus Bogue, B-O-G-U-E. And he practiced in Paris, France, London, England, New York City, Chicago, New York, and Boston. He was a Renaissance man. He actually went to dental school after medical school. They used to do it the other way around. And he did, he called it spreading the deciduous, which just means baby teeth, spreading the deciduous arch for the purpose of optimizing a child's ability to breathe through the nose. And he taught this all over the world and accumulated this massive collection of models of kids' teeth at the Forsyth uh, Dental Infirmary in Boston. Um, and he just sort of taught all these people and it was, it was still controversial. There's a lot of people that were inventing braces in and they wanted to wait till all the permanent teeth were in so they could, you know, sell their, their appliances. And, um, and then World War II happened and who went off to war? The men. Yeah. And who were all the doctors and dentists? The men. Right. And when they came back from the war, this just sort of fell out of, I don't know, knowledge, just. I don't know. We're trying to bring it back, though, and a lot of people are. It's not just, you know, I'm, I'm part of a group uh, of people, a consortium all over the world that are really bringing this back. And it's very scientifically uh, supported. It's medically defensible to do this. So uh, so the, the starting early, right, the starting early, we're talking how my daughter was four. How early have you started, Kev? How early is OK to start? Well, you know, and again, I know you're very curious about some of the work um, that we're exploring regarding the develop, development of fetuses. And yes. it's sort of like, well, you know what? There's something in, in Google it, gestational apnea. You've heard of gestational hypertension and diabetes, but gestational apnea can actually impair the growth of bones, uh, not just the long bones, but, but also the facial bones. So we don't know, we don't have any like, you know, support of this hypothesis other than maybe 50 ultrasounds of kids who have retronathic chins. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, it's something that, that really early, well, when I tell a mom, how do you sleep? You know, 
uh, are you breathing through your nose? If a mother has apnea, well, she's putting that kid at risk for, for being born small and, and not just the long bones, but the, but the facial bones. So, um, but early in terms of actually coming into the office, well, we like to see children on or before their first birthday, just for assessing their overall oral health. Now, oral health, everyone knows, you know, if, you're, if you have good oral health, that means you don't have cavities, you don't have gum disease, but you also, you know, age one, two, or three, you should not have poorly aligned teeth and jaws because that will not improve. And everyone says, well, you know, maybe treat them when they're older and just do it once. Well, that's okay if you're all, all you're looking for is having, you know, straight front teeth. But if you want your jaws, your children's jaws to accommodate yeah. their tongues upward and forward off the back of the throat while they're sleeping and while they're awake, you have to really start to assess the risk early, like in the, in the baby teeth. Now, the American Dental Association is now getting behind this. We're in our fourth year of, uh, I'm on a task force at the American Dental Association that is really establishing criteria by which we assess a child's risk, you know, not just of cavities and gum disease, which is important, obviously, but are their jaws too narrow for their tongues? Is their chin too far back? Is their upper jaw too far back? Are they growing long face? They, you know, the ENTs call it uh, long face syndrome or adenoid face. That's a, mm -hmm. that's a kid whose adenoids and, and tonsils are big and they, their tongues are pushing on their lower jaw and not developing the upper jaw. There's so many things we can do to just make parents aware. doesn't mean you got to start treatment on everybody. You just need to, to make parents aware of, of risk factors. <clears throat> you know, if, if a parent has, or the child has, say the child's 12 years old, and their canines have not dropped. That's a sign that they're narrowed, right? Why are why don't teeth come down, Kev? Why why are teeth stuck in, in child's heads? That's what I wanted to ask you. Like, is it the swallow? Is it the tongue pressure? What is it that's delaying that that um, eruption? Well, and you you bring up some good points. Is that you know, like I, we talked about the lower jaw getting pushed forward and down. Well, if if the tongue is living in the basement, the lower jaw, and really your tongue should only be in your lower jaw when? When you're eating. The rest of the time, when you're talking, forming consonants and breathing through your nose, whether you're at rest you know, or active, your tongue should be in the roof of your mouth, up in the attic, okay? But in, in our ancestors used to eat all the time. So their tongues were living equally in the low in the basement and then in the attic and it was developing both jaws that's why there was no need for an orthodox till about 350 years ago so I, it's it's a combination of things but if the upper canine the eye teeth if they get caught up there it usually is because the tongue has not for a lifetime been you know pushing up against the roof of the mouth we say whenever that there's a struggle between muscles and bones the bones will always yield. And the tongue is a group of muscles. In the palate, where all the, the upper jaw, where the teeth you know, are developing, um, that palate is bone that needs to be developed and yield to the tongue muscles. So um, I don't know, that's a, that's, a, that's a long answer for, but sometimes, you know, they just, they're not coming in. Well, it's, you know, there's, and there could be other reasons for it, but usually, you know, if a kid has a syndrome or something like most kids, who have dental problems don't have syndromes. I mean, most kids with syndromes have dental problems. 
but there's a lot of kids with dental problems that don't have syndromes or genetically, you know, don't have those issues. You mentioned, you know, mothers that snore, mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's going to be affecting their fetus, their, well, their it child. Can. It, it can. can, it doesn't necessarily, you know, it, it's just one thing to pay attention to. When women are pre pregnancy wellness that you and I started developing, you know, a protocol for this 10 years ago is, is more than just, you know, folic acid. It's more than yoga, you know, activity and, and, and healthy diet. That's all important. But a third component of pregnancy wellness is sleep and breathing. You know, a, a mom has to be able to get good. And we, we use the analogy to what the flight attendant says before takeoff is put the mask on yourself before you try to help your baby. And, and it's the same thing is that if a mother is not oxygenating you know, optimally during pregnancy, the placenta, you know, the placenta gives priority to the fetus for every substrate, energy substrates, vitamins, minerals, but not oxygen. Mom gets priority, and it's just like the same thing. If a mom is not breathing properly, she has the risk of dying, and of course, the fetus will die. So, you know, we, we moms need to to sleep and breathe optimally in order to deliver that oxygen to the fetus via, via the placenta. Yeah, and you can. What I've noted in my practice, I'm a buteco breathing instructor, and we have the capnometer that measures the CO2 levels. Um, mouth breathers tend to have really low CO2 levels. They measure low because their mouths are open because a lot of, you know, pregnant women, it gets harder and harder to breathe as you get through the, the entire term of pregnancy. So you end up kind of panting a little bit at the end with your mouth open because your, your, your tummy's all the way up at your neck almost. So what I've found is that, you know, you can't, do the the normal training for breathing because pregnancy it, it's it's a different you you really have to be careful that you're not challenging the, the the system too much but if you can close your mouth while you breathe throughout the day and slow down your breathing nice and gentle it starts reversing the 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 ability for the the mom to handle mouth closed sleeping like i always tell my moms we don't tape moms we don't, you know, normally, normally I tell people to tape, you don't want to tape moms, but you want to um, promote nice, gentle, slow, reduced, gentle, reduced breathing is what it's called through the nose. So they keep supporting their airway, nice, big, heavy breathing kind of keeps the, the airway very floppy and unstable. And that that's what promotes more snoring. So I agree with you, Kev, I've been trying to really reach out to as many pregnant women and know that if you're pregnant, it gets harder to breathe and you end up possibly over breathing, chest breathing or mouth breathing. Um, I want to note, uh, you've done such great research at University of Penn. I know, just share a little bit about the research with, with the audience around the skulls that you've been analyzing and how they compare to modern day skulls, Kev. Well, um We've been doing this by over eight years now, and I, I'm um, I'm working with an orthodontist at Penn, uh, Mariana Evans, and um, we just kind of discovered each other. We're interested in the same thing. She's also uh, a gum doctor, a periodontist, and um, what what we found, and and I sort of had seen this in books. Robert Coraccini is this 
famous dental anthropologist who's kind of come out of retirement. Uh, he's an emeritus uh, professor at Southern Illinois. But when he saw what Mariana and I were interested in, he he really wanted to help us. And he's spoken with us a couple times. And um, what he had discovered, and then Mariana and I followed up on it, is that people who were born and raised before the Industrial Revolution, let's just say before the 19th century, you know, in the late 1700s, early 1800s, they're, they're just... If they survived childhood, they unless they were royalty uh, and royalty and gentry, people who, you know, were very wealthy, well off, um, some of them had crooked teeth. I mean, if you look at old paintings of of royalty and things, they they don't have beautiful jaws and teeth. Well, that's because breastfeeding was considered primitive, and it also prevented the king from having more male heirs. He he wanted the queen or princess to to get pregnant right away uh, to try to, you know, produce, this is one hypothesis that comes from <laughs> cultural anthropology, but it makes sense to me. Um, but the proletariat, which is most everybody, you know, they would spend their days in search of food. We were all hunter gatherers until fairly recently and chewing all day long. And it just developed the jaws, it had to. Well, if you develop the jaws, you develop the airway, they're connected. You've heard me use the term craniofacial respiratory complex. You, the back of the face is the airway. The front of the airway is the face. You don't even need an x-ray sometimes. You can see the signs of somebody who doesn't breathe well. So we had um, taken notice and we wanted to measure uh, radiographically and with our calipers. And so we got access to something called the Morton Cranium Collection at Penn and our, uh, the curator of that museum is Dr. Janet Munn. She's a very famous anthropologist and was thrilled to invite us to be visiting scholars there and to, to measure all these skulls. So we would take them out of the museum to Dr. Mariana Evans' office and we would take x-rays on them. And so we have all these measurements of where a kid genomically should be because we all share the same genome. They're everyone on the planet. There's less than 0.1% difference between anybody. Uh, and, and except, you know, if you have some sort of anomaly or a, a you know, a syndrome, uh, something like that. But, you know, we all really land on the planet with an intact genome. Uh, and if, if the start, you know, from in utero to the, say the first four or five years of life, it's challenged and there's chewing and there's nose breathing and there's what you do, Jenny, as a myofunctional therapist, you, you teach people to put their tongues on the roof of their mouth and close their lips and do exercises. We didn't, we didn't need anybody to teach us that. We just did that. And if we didn't do that, we did not survive childhood, period. I mean, you can look at a 40-year-old guy who died you know, 5,000 years ago, and, and we have those skulls, we know exactly what his jaw looked like when he was two. Because if he didn't have a certain width, he didn't survive childhood, because that means he wasn't nursed and weaned according to an ancestral pattern, we call it. So it's, it's just, it's really simple, but it really is hard to grasp until you, you know, we don't learn about anthropology in dental school, or you didn't learn it in physical mm -hmm. therapy school. That's and awesome. it just, it's just not in our education system. When you start to read about hunter-gatherers, and there's still a few tribes uh, of people that are living in the Amazon basin and in South America and the Amazon and uh, uh, Papua New Guinea, and 
um, so many good books about this, but you know, they, they lived the way we'd always lived. Right. So you're saying. Hunter gatherers is what really our chewing complex and our breathing complex, you know, it was adapted over hundreds of thousands of years, if not millions before we were even homo sapiens, uh, that it, it just is something that changed real suddenly. First, when we discovered agriculture and started growing crops and, and you know, turning them into ground up grains and soft and then, you know, started to create big cities and things like that. The jaws gradually got narrower uh, after agriculture, but so did the teeth. So there still wasn't really bad alignment of teeth and jaws until really the industrial revolution. And then the jaws got really small and the teeth didn't have time to also get small. You know, they, they, didn't, they didn't adapt. So now we need an orthodontist. No, we have to, our jaws have to be grown to their full genomic potential, but it has to start very early in life. Right, so the, the important parts to note for, for anyone listening is, you know, your, your baby, the, the ideal is to continue breastfeeding as long as possible, not bottle feeding, but breastfeeding as much as possible. And that probably was a problem when women went back to work sooner or, the, you know, the workforce changed everything, right? It, well, it wasn't really, the, the work that women did, women have always worked really hard hunting uh, they helped hunt they gathered they they tilled the soil they took care of the children they you know so they they really went to a different work right and they, they got pulled away from the hard work they've been doing for generations and put into foundries who i mean who who knew how to operate looms and and then the looms got automated so the women are the ones that had to give up the hundreds of thousands of years of nursing and weaning, you know, into the fourth year of life. That's what everybody did. Uh, and they had, then they had to hire wet nurses and invented baby foods and uh, started, you know, babies uh, drawing milk out of artificial nipples from bottles and formulas. And that's when all, that's when it all changed. And, you know, I'm not suggesting women go back to hunting and gathering. It's just, uh, we have got to pay attention really early in life at the shape of the jaw. Yes, yes. And, and understand how children need to chew harder foods. Everything seems to be very mushy and, and that does not develop the jaws being wide and just developing the bone of the jaws. Um, I, I, I think it's fascinating. I'm so, I'm so grateful for the research that you've done because it really puts I've been a myofunctional therapist since 2013, and I get that we're, we're supposed to develop normally, right? We're supposed to develop if we chew, if, if we nurse properly, if we chew and swallow properly, if we keep our mouths closed when we, when we breathe throughout the day and night, we should be fine. But there's, there's when, when we have things like tongue tie, right? Tongue tie is a factor that is part of this picture that that affects the growth and development of the mouth and the jaws so and that's an area that not many people understand either or know about um, but I've been seeing TMJ patients for over 20 years and the the patients that are all tongue-tied 
tend to be, you know, the chronic clenchers, the ones that have their jaw set back a little bit. They tend to be mouth breathers, but that even in adults and children can affect the shape of the, the bite and the jaws, correct, Kevin? Well, yeah, and I think, I don't know about you, Jenny, but uh, what I learned in dental school and in my residency in pediatric dentistry, this is a tongue kai. When your tongue can't get out of your arm, over the front teeth, that's the only thing that's a tongue kai. And if there's not beach problem, and if there's, you know, anything like that, then it's not a tongue tie. And then we learned about posterior tongue ties to where I don't even get my tongue out, but I've got a tether of the tissue behind. And that's what prevents elevation and lateralization, all the things I learned from you guys. Uh, so I, there's just so much that we didn't learn about in our training. And, you know, we didn't learn it in our training. It doesn't mean that there's more that needs to be learned about it. I, uh, tongue tie uh, release is, you know, it's like, it's not without controversy, but there's something to it. And I, I'm just hopeful that people will become more curious about it because yeah. we do see so many therapeutic effects when a certain type of tongue tie is released and then they do the myofunctional therapy. You can't do it, you know, and I, I, I came to really understand how important myofunctional therapy is you know, doing the prehab and then the rehab, but it's the same thing with correcting jaws and teeth that don't line up in a three, four or five-year-old. There has to be myofunctional, at least an assessment. And, and I find I can get such quicker results and more efficient, stable results if a kid is getting concurrent myofunctional therapy with the expansion. Uh, they they work together. It's just so hard to live without each other. And I'm, I'm glad that this is starting to become in the public domain. Parents are starting to demand it. And, and I really think that's what brings about policy changes when, especially moms, when they get angry and they're like, I thought so. I have so many moms where I'll start to talk about this. I thought so. And, you know, I, th I, I think and it's mostly moms, I'm not saying, you know, prejudice against dads, but it, it's only female adult caregivers that, that have the first encounters with new patients. And, and often when I'm going through this list, I will see a disappointed look like my pediatrician or so-and-so, and it isn't necessarily a male. It could be a female pediatrician that, oh, no, you don't have to worry about that. And it's like my instinct is so wrong about my own kid. And I so there, there's a lot of a lot of people are just really relieved when, when I will say like, no, I think you're on the right track. And I hear that. I thought so. <laughs> so, you know, what, what children do throughout the day affects the, the ability for the, the treatment to work or not work. You are creating, and I want to go into really quick. Um, what, what do you do as part of the airway world? I, I can tell you, I working with you for so many years, we try to support all that any any pediatric dentist or orthodontist that's expanding. Myofunctional therapists try to support the tongue posture, the lip seal, the nose breathing, all of that, the swallow. Um, but can you tell the audience like what what part do you what do you do in, in the airway treatment for children? And what what devices do you use? What is what does the whole package look like? Well, right away, Jenny. 
and this is where dentists get in trouble. Um, I don't really treat the airway. I treat the occlusion. I treat the house within which the tongue should live and where it should go. Um, but I, I really, I don't tell people, you know, I'm going to treat your child's airway because, um, you know, I hear it said that the airway is the domain of the ENT. Well, of course it is. Who's going to argue with that? An ear, nose, and throat doctor. They know this is their whole life and the sleep doctor and the pulmonologist. Well, guess what? It's also a shared domain with myofunctional therapists and dentists. You know, the, the symptoms of airway issues and the structural components that aren't well-developed, they're all above the clavicles. Well, that's where I, that's, that's where I live in, you know, this is what I do. So I don't, I don't treat airway. I treat the, the jaws, the, the alignment of the teeth and jaws such that it's conducive to habitual nose breathing. But I, I, I never, you know, purport, you know, that, that, oh my gosh, I'm this airway specialist or, you know, I, I'm going to help a kid's behavior improve. Often that will happen when you optimize this structure of the face, teeth, and jaws. But I, and, and that's always, you know, if you see a kid whose jaws too narrow or his chin or upper jaws too far back, face is too long, teeth are too crowded, palate's too high, and you see that at three, four, five years old, guess what? It's not going to self-correct. Impossible. And if it's even at all uh, remotely connected to a child's ability to sleep and breathe through their nose, and it could affect their neurological development, how about cardiovascular development? New paper, American Heart Association. Little kids with anemia that isn't resolved by adolescents, they're already heart, heart, they have heart disease and high blood pressure. And it's published, you know, in JAMA. Journal of the American Medical Association. Wow. So, no, I think it's medically indefensible to tell the parent of a child who has got very narrow jaws, uh, you know, and, and maybe with or without a crossbite, underbite, uh, chin that's too far back, roof of the mouth is too high, tongue doesn't fit. To tell them to wait till that child is older, I feel in some instances would be hard to defend medically. Uh, the same way telling a parent who has a nearsighted four-year-old, you know, wait till they're driving a car before you correct their vision. Nobody would do that. Dentistry has got to get back to this. So the, the, the appliances, I know you use appliances. Can you tell us a little bit about what that treatment looks like for, for, for the parents that are listening? Well, anybody who's listening to this, if you yourself as a kid had a palate expander, uh, it's like a retainer in the roof of the mouth that has a little key on it. Or if your other kids have had one um, or you grew up, you know, you didn't need it, but your friends did. Hey, if it works on a 12 year old, if it works on a 10 year old, if it works on an eight year old, guess what? It works on a three year old. The biggest challenge, the biggest obstacle is the practitioner not really being comfortable with treating children. I'm a pediatric dentist, I'm not an orthodontist, but all I do now, and it's not really orthodontics, it's dental facial orthopedics. And, and I haven't picked up a drill in five years. I, I just don't do that part of pediatric, even though it's necessary and it gets done in my office, but not by me. Um, if those expanders work on older kids, they absolutely work on younger kids. This isn't an experiment. 
And this has been done for over 100 years, as you know, Jenny, from, from all the literature I've sent you. It's not hard. But, you know, really, if, if, the, if the child picks up that mom and dad want me to do this, mom wants me to do it, uh, dad wants me to do it, grandma wants me to do it, child are not only hardwired to be obstinate, terrible twos, we all know what that is, right? Yep. But they're hardwired to be obedient. They want to please the elders. And that, that, the fact that we're here as a species, we haven't gone extinct, that, that is proof right there. That kids, they, they need to inherit their culture. They inherit their environment. They imitate. And they can see when a parent's happy and pleased. I mean, who doesn't? You remember, you know, when Clyde and Bella were jumping off the diving board? Look at me. Look at me. You know, mm -hmm. they want to please us. And they pediatric, all pediatric dentists know that. Uh, we get that training. Orthodontists don't get that training. Yeah, that That's so, and they still do. My children are 11 and 12, and they still want to you know, get mommy to look and, and acknowledge and, and say, wow, good job. You know, I, I want to make sure that the audience understands that, you know, many parents think that their children don't need treatment, that they're fine, that what's, what could possibly be wrong with them? They're young and healthy. And it's not that they're not healthy. They're, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to say that they're not healthy if they're narrow. They, they could they could be breathing better. They could, you could set them up to um, be better students, be better, um, be better professionals in general. If if you just were open to understanding that airway does not matter the age, correct? It does not matter. You know, infants have issues with breathing. Toddlers have issues with breathing. You know, adolescents, adults. If you find that you're an adult with a narrow jaw, it's a lot harder to change that. Sometimes it, it requires a lengthy expansion if that's you know possible or surgery. So the time to do it is when they're children and you wanna set them up so that their tongues fit their bite and that their tongues don't fall back into their throat while they're you know, living their life or sleeping, causing sleep problems snoring, for example, or even leading to sleep apnea. So Kev, you are one of my top, top um, favorite docs that really understand this. And, and I, could, I could spend hours talking to you about this. So I, I really appreciate you taking the time to educate the audience on what you do and how, how you've contributed to the research around proper um, cranial you know, skull structure and shape and how we can, we can really be curious about our children and all the symptoms that they may have, that they, they may have an airway issue that is developing and that there's treatment for it. Myofunctional therapy, breathing retraining, and very, very skilled orthodontics, um, pediatric dentists that understand how the jaw should shape to support the tongue and, and the airway. So any last there's comments? There's a couple, couple of things I'd like to leave your audience with that some people watching this is, oh my God, my kid's nine and I, I just let this go. They kept telling me, bring him back when he's older and has more permanent teeth. You're not too late. Don't, don't, get, don't beat yourself up. I'd rather have him at nine than 13, okay? I mean, because I'm, you know, biased. I, I like to fix things when I see them. 
but you're, you're not too late. If, if you get in there and, and encourage your orthodontist, look, I, I, I know you want to wait, but don't wait, please. Um, and then the other thing is, new study, and I gave you this paper. I don't know if you had a chance to look at it yet, but tell people to Google Dunedin, D-U-N-E-D-I-N, Dunedin study, self-control, and longer lifespan, longer health span. Kids who have really good impulse control before the age of 12, they live longer than kids who don't. This is a study that's been going on for over 50 years in Dunedin, New Zealand. They took 1,037 babies in 1974, and they're still, they're in their 50s now, and they're still following them. Their faces look 10 years younger, the kids who had better impulse control. They're more resistant to systemic cardiovascular disease, mental disorders, criminal behaviors, wealth management. It's unbelievable. Um, So for me, when you optimize a kid's structure such that they can sleep and breathe through their nose optimally before the age of 12, that kid is not only going to realize an immediate uh, better quality of life, but it really extends into later years. Like who's thinking about, I'm looking at a four-year-old and I'm thinking about when he's 104. Yeah, I am. I'm thinking about that. Most of the kids I treat based on this data, a lot of them are going to live into their hundreds. I'm in, in, you know, obviously I won't be here to see it, but I'm, I'm setting children up to not only not have massive complicated orthodontics when they're older, but also to just have the ability to to live well uh, longer than 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 most people and to stay healthy into their older age. They're not going to get sick at at sixty. They'll get sick at one hundred and two and die at one hundred and three. That ain't bad, huh? No, it's not. No, it's not. But we... look at you know, go Google it. The 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 Dunedin study and look up the term health span. It's like lifespan. It's incredible. Will do. Will do. I think we should we should all do that. Thank you for that that tip. Well, Kev, thank you so much for your time, and um, we will definitely look forward to another podcast in the future. I think it, you've been wonderful, and I appreciate all that you've shared with us. Thanks, Great. thanks, Jenny. Thanks for having me. You're Keep welcome. up your good work too. Thank you for listening to the Breathing Lab with Dr. Jenny. 